Hi, and welcome to the Skip Deadline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Editor Madhuni Christian, and this week I'm in conversation with Emily Weiss, who, the global travel industry lead for Accenture, and Scott Davidson, Accenture's travel industry managing director, as we discuss the return of business travel and the potential for EVTOLs or EVTOLs in urban mobility. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you, Emily and Scott, for joining me today. Um, I wanted to get right into it, though, Emily, and talk about the question that everyone really wants the answer to, and that is when business travel will return. And let me let me just before we get into that, though. I mean, we were listening to you know we've just finished the airlines. Um, third, fourth quarter and full year results. And a lot of them are saying business travel is about 40% of what it was in 2019. So when do you, what, what's your best guess on when it'll come back? It's a wonderful question. I wish I had a very firm answer to uh, be a good predictor, but unfortunately uh, there's been so much change that's been happening in the industry and continues to happen that um, it's a very difficult question to answer to set a date. What I do think is, is that it's very clear to say what will trigger the return. And one of the biggest thing right now is with obviously, you know, the Omicron, Omicron variant that has really changed the trajectory of business travel. Um, but the reality is, is that business travel was starting to return. People were recognizing the need to get back out there, the need to be together as a, uh, colleagues and, a, you know, in sales capacity, marketing capacities at conferences. Um, but in the end, one of the biggest prohibitors of business travel fully returning is the restrictions. And that's not something that the travel companies can control. And so as long as right, we have the, the restrictions in terms of travel, whether it be cross-border, whether it be you know any kind of quarantine, et cetera, it makes it very challenging for the travel companies to determine the outcome. Right. And, and you know, the restrictions, as you mentioned, are completely beyond the travel companies. Um, control. And we're seeing sort of governments sort of fine tune now that we're two years into this pandemic, fine tune their responses. And, and there's a lot of variants worldwide. I mean, Asia Pacific is, is, has taken a much, many countries in the Asia Pacific region have taken a much stricter approach to shutdowns compared with uh, Western Europe and, and North and South America. But, um, but I guess what I want to find out from you is, um, are we you know, you did mention that people want to be together, but are you seeing in in the folks you talk to that there is less appetite for the large trade shows, the sort of large conferences that um, typically fuel a lot of business travel? Yeah, um, I think it's just a different appetite. And the reason I say that is I think the appetite for the let's fly across the pond or across the country for a one hour meeting I think that's long gone. I don't think those things are going to happen again um, anytime, at least in the foreseeable future. Getting together in terms of uh, conferences or meetings and events, which is a big, you know, significant portion of business travel, I do believe there's an appetite, but it needs to be done in a way where health and safety requirements are, you know, extremely, uh, the protocols are, are managed. And they may not happen as frequently, or they may need to happen in smaller groups where a conference or a meeting and event has three or four different locations instead of everybody in one location. And that allows us to manage health and safety in terms of large crowds, social distancing. It allows us to address the restrictions. But these events of having people come together, I think there still is an appetite for them. They just need to be managed in, in a different way. And that, that's sort of the, the motto I've been following, which is I do strongly believe business travel will return, 
but business travel will need to return in a different way. And it needs to return and the travel companies needs to adapt to handle those changes. Yeah, well, let's, let's think of the sort of if it's supply and demand, right? If we think of the supply side of, of, of business travel uh, and with the companies you're talking to both in the sector and outside the sector, is there do you think it'll be harder for people to get approvals to go to uh, a conference? You know, when you factor in duty of care the companies might have for um, for their employees, um, you know, if I think back in say 2019, it would be if there was a good industry conference, it'd be pretty easy for me to get my boss to approve it. That's not as as true now. Uh, now, yeah, it, as we're coming right. So, what are you hearing from folks? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think there's definitely new scrutiny. And again, I keep using the word different. Um, I don't think it's just going to be doors wide open and people can go travel for the sake of travel. So there is going to be more scrutiny around why, the purpose, the value, right? The benefits of the travel, and then you add in the health and safety protocol. So even if there's a significant amount of value to be had, if the health and safety protocols aren't put in place, there's going to be a question. And on the reverse side, if there's a ton of health and safety protocols in place, but there's really no reason to be there except for just the sake of getting out. I think it is going to be scrutinized differently. But there's definitely been um, I had the benefit of traveling to some conferences back in the fall. Um, and it, they were my first ones since the beginning of the pandemic. And I experienced the energy, the joy and the value, which is the word that I really am focused on, of being at those, being there with industry colleagues, being there with clients, being there with, um, you know, others who were really focused on the topic. I also know that there are plenty that I chose not to attend because I didn't see the, the value. And so I think that there's going to be a look at that. And, you know, as we continue this conversation, I would say that's even beyond conferences. That's going to be about one-to-one -one meetings. That's going to be about sales meetings, about service meetings. And people are going to be thinking about them in a very different way to ensure that when you do go and have this business travel, you know, it's going to drive significant value. And an example might be bundling, bundling more meetings. So they may be longer trips. So instead of people traveling every week or going for a one-hour meeting or a half-day meeting regularly, they may take a two- or three-week trip. It still remains to be seen, but part of that, it limits the movement. It limits the issues with border controls. It, you know, it limits and contains, but yet allows you to drive a significant amount of value in that trip. Well, you know, you brought up the the one to one meeting, and I, I actually wanted to. It was a, it's a great segue because uh, one of the themes we heard, sort of starting around, I'd say fall of twenty twenty, and just continuing, is that. The people who are traveling are small, medium-sized enterprises, and that's sort of been a, a shift. If you take, um, you know, some of the large global carriers in the U.S., for example, shifting their their focus of corporate travel away from the large contracts to SMEs, and is that now that we're, I don't want to say we're coming out of the pandemic, but we're learning to live with it a little bit better. Are larger businesses traveling more, or will the SMAs continue to be a um, sort of a larger share of, of business travel going forward? So I think that at the moment, the SMAs are still the larger population traveling, and they chose to return to travel sooner and, and bigger for various reasons, right? Personal contacts, uh, the type of business that they do, the type of interactions. Larger businesses are returning to business travel. Again, it's a very difficult 
comment or question to answer given the Omicron variant has really disrupted things. I think if we had a conversation back in, you know, late November or, you know, mid-November, I would have had a different answer to you. And therefore, I think in a month from now, I'm going to have a different answer or hopefully a month from now, two months from now. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I've been focused on is a little bit less on exactly who, uh, because it could change overnight, right? But it's how, how the companies are responding. So we talk a lot about the pent-up demand that's out there. And I'm shifting a little bit away from business to tra uh, leisure travel. But the concept of there's a ton of pent-up demand out there for travel. And the travel companies need to be ready to and start thinking more about how are they going to capture that. So are they targeting the right people at the right time? Are they making offerings? Is their loyalty schema something that's attractive that, you know, you may have been loyal to one a travel company prior to the pandemic, but now if you're not going to be traveling as frequently, therefore volume and points isn't necessarily going to be as exciting, but experiences are going to be exciting. Or their use of, you know, more sustainable solutions is going to be something that matters more. So there's all these different factors that have come into play where it's not just business travel no longer is just about volume, but there's a, a lot of other factors in there. Well, that, that's Emily, really... I might add to that. Yeah, please, Scott. And, um, you know, it's not just on the demand side. It, travel companies have to be just as flexible on the supply side to actually meet those demands once they find and capture it. So, you know, our clients are really starting to think about how do they take their, you know, traditionally long 12-month planning cycles and shorten those. Can I shift where I fly? Can I shift my frequencies? Can I shift my products that I deploy there um, to really meet those demands that are changing? Honestly, right now, to the day, right? Especially with cancellation policies that are, you know, so flexible right now, you know, airlines in particular have to be able to go where that demand is. And um, they're really starting to think through what it means from both a marketing and demand capture side, but also a delivery side. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about loyalty because uh, airline loyalty programs have been geared towards the the, the road warrior, right? And somebody who's amassing a large amount of miles and then uses his or her miles to go to Bali, you know, take the family to Bali. Um, business travel is changing and travel is changing. I mean, there's a, there are a lot more people, as you were mentioning, pent up demand who haven't tra traveled for two years, but are sitting in the business class cabin to go to Bali on this, this vacation I keep mentioning, about, like making up about Bali. Um, <laughs> Right. So, so how, how do, how do travel companies shift their loyalty programs to capture a more of that premium leisure market and also be sort of reward people who travel less frequently, but are, but want to avail themselves of, of the perks that come with loyalty? Well, I mean, there's multiple, multiple ways of thinking around it at the moment. And as I said, when you're not, when you're not having the volume of travel, it's very difficult to rely on a points-based schema, right? It's just, it doesn't work. And as many of us have seen, there's been extensions of people's status. I mean, you happen to be talking to some road warriors, right? So we have this status <laughs> right. that we were sitting on for two years that we didn't get to use ourselves. But um, it's the concept of, of really understanding what's important to the traveler, right? And actually understanding where does personalization come into play? Where do you be able to, where do you look at uh, offerings and are there new products are there new services that you can you know offer that can generate some sort of activity in return and then the airlines or the hotels you know, as well can determine 
how do I want to reward those, you know, quote unquote loyal. And I say quote unquote, because loyal doesn't mean anymore flying every week. Loyal means returning. Loyal means responding to our campaigns. Loyal means availing ourselves, you know, taking a business traveler and seeing them use the same airline for their uh, leisure travel. So there's, there's multiple ways to look at that. Well, you know, that, the, that brings up the question of revenue though. And, and, and I live in the San Francisco Bay area and there's a very large, I'm not naming names. There's a very large employer <laughs> here who, who, which before the pandemic had about 30 business class seats on the Shanghai flight every day. And that, that obviously is gone. So how, how, you know, you're talking about loyalty and rewarding people for traveling less, you know, changing sort of the model. But how, how, how does a company make up for the revenue that's just lost in, in this changing business, business travel environment? Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll take that one, you know, because for, for me, it's, it's revenue is key, right? But, you know, in a time when demand is in flux, it's got to be all about profitability and how you design your business to be able to scale and still be profitable at the ever-changing demand levels, um, right? So, you know, there are some fixed costs that are always going to be a problem in that, but variableizing everything else um, as much as you can so that you can flex up and down, so that you can repurpose supply for a back, lack of a better term um, is really what they need to be thinking about because that demand is just going to be in flux. Great. So, okay. So the, there's there's going to be a change in the way of thinking of profitabilities. Now that that uh, of profitability and re, and uh, and recouping some of that revenue. That sounds to me like fares will inevitably rise. Is that what you're saying, Scott? You know, maybe in the short term, but you know, costs can be controlled, and they can be controlled probably better than they have been historically. Um, you know, there's something to be said for you know putting pressure. Um, means that everybody's going to react and do their best. And if they didn't have that pressure in the past, um, you know, maybe they didn't have to. Uh, I've worked on quite a few airline restructurings. Um, and, you know, management teams always think they're doing great. And a lot of times they are until they have to change, until they have to evolve, right? So, you know, will they find new products to sell, new ancillaries, new ways to sell more of the travel value chain? Absolutely. At the same time, will they tighten the screws and manage the business, not just in the short term by, you know, slashing and burning like, you know, might have been some response historically, but really fundamentally thinking about how they can deliver differently, um, you know, whether or not that's automation, whether or not that's different aircraft. Um, absolutely. That's all going to come into play. Well, let's put I want to put a pin on the different aircraft and get to that in a second, Scott. But uh, the last question I have sort of on this this, this topic of business travel is, um, the, you know, you hear about a lot from all the airline CEOs during the, um, during the earnings calls. You, you read about in the, in, on, in the news um, sort of the population shift in, in a lot of the U.S. and a lot of, um, a lot of um, and Europe as well, where people working from home have moved to to less expensive locations or to ski, you know, to voice leaving the San Francisco barrier to go to move to Montana or, or Idaho for the skiing and coming home 
to the home office every month or so for meetings. So the rise of the digital nomads. Now you hear the airline CEOs say that this could be a potentially lucrative seam of revenue to tap into going forward and and how and an and a harbinger of how business travel has changed. Is this a long-term thing or or do you do you t- in other words do you agree that this is a change in the, in the way business travel will happen or is it just a, a blip and things will revert to normal? I mean if I I could comment I, I think it's it's a change. I don't want to say anything's for good, right? Because never in a million years did we know COVID was coming. But I do think it's a a pretty significant change. And I think it's a change that everyone, um, I'm actually pleased that the impact of the change, not of what happened, of course, right? And all the the negativity around the world, but it has forced people just in society. It has forced companies. It has forced the travel industry to really take a hard look at the art of the possible. And one part of the art of the possible is I, I kind of want to go back to your comment about, you know, the San Francisco Boise thing. I live in Manhattan and there are people, I've told this story before, but I think it's very relevant to what you said is that there are people who used to live in Manhattan so that they were X number of blocks away from their office, right? They wanted to live there so that they could get to the office. Well, if they don't have to go there every day, so when they lived there, they were never business travelers. Now, if they choose to move out of the city, wherever they choose to go, similar to your San Francisco Boise thing, and they are going to have to gather on a monthly basis, on a quarterly basis, you've just created new business travelers who were never business travelers before. They're going to need a hotel because they don't live there. They're going to need to travel. You know, if they don't travel very far distance, will they need a plane? Maybe they'll need a train. But the reality is, is they're going to have to travel from their new homes to wherever these quarterly, monthly meetings are. And that's a whole new segment of a business traveler that never existed. And so I think what we're doing is we're actually capturing a whole new angle of how you can travel for business as well as how you can work from home. And it's starting to become so much more integrated that I I do see this lasting for a long time, but in a good way, not because it's going to be the death of X. Is it the death, as I said, is it the death of the traveling cross-country for a one-hour meeting? Perhaps. But is it the advent of gathering in more dedicated spaces under more dedicated time frames? Yes, I think so. All right, great. Now, Scott, you mentioned something that this that resonates with this audience. That's new aircraft technologies. <laughs> and we're talking about business travel and eVTOLs are everyone's everyone's mind. They're on everyone's radar screen, so to speak, now. Um as the next iteration of business travel, you know, I, I still explain to me though, like, is this science fiction? I mean, what, uh, I know there's a lot of billion dollar investments in, in these eVTOL companies, but what is the business case for, for these, for these aircraft? I mean, why would an airline invest in, in, in this technology? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, a simple kind of two pronged answer in my opinion, time and convenience. Um, you know, for people who are on the road, who are on meetings all day, you know, taking that time and, and getting into a car and going through either San Francisco or New York or, you know, wherever traffic, um, it's a frustration. It takes a lot of time, right? So to be able to, you know, continue to stay on your meeting, continue to, you know, finish signing that deal before you have to leave and get that extra amount of time. That's what really matters. Um, and that's what they're hanging their hat on for their business cases. Um, but given the you know cost structure that at least the uh, manufacturers are telling us they're going to hit, 
it actually is accessible to all, not just the, um, you know, the, the business person who would have to pay a, a very large fare, right? So I think that com- combination between, you know, big acceptance and creation of value for the consumer gives us really a chance. Now, will the technology play out and be able to deliver? I don't know. Um, but, you know, there's, a, there's enough smart people looking at it uh, that uh, there's a likelihood, right? You know, aircraft themselves didn't, you know, had to start somewhere. <laughs> right. Well, well that, that's what I keep sticking on. I mean, it take, if you think it takes like almost 10 years for an aircraft like the 787 to go from paper to flying to being certified. Some of these companies are talking about very ambitious entries into, entry into service dates, like the end of the decade. I mean, is that science fiction? What, uh, how realistic is that? How realistic yeah. is it that I'll be able to land in SFO and fly to Mountain View uh, by 2029? If I could answer that question, I'd probably be investing <laughs> rather than working at Accenture. But, um, you know, honestly, you know, whether it's 10 years or 20 years, I, I believe it's coming. Um, you know, there are different certification paths that these aircraft are going down uh, because of how they're going to be operated, because of how many passengers they carry. Um, you know, it, it's still a very safe and scrutinized process. It's just different. And that means it can move slightly faster. Um, you know, I think there, there are places that these can be tested on the short range that, uh, you know, allow them to be done quicker. Um, so, We'll, we'll see if it plays out, but I do think financially the model's there. Um, as a consumer, I'd love to have that available to me, not even just for an add-on to long-haul travel, but to get from where I am in New Jersey into New York. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's to Emily's point, you know, as people kind of get slightly outside of the cities rather than long ways away, they still need to get into their office on some occasion. Um, the other thing that I think is really going to push you know, this type of technology forward is sustainability. Um, You know, does that help me as a consumer say, you know, if I can use that and not drive a car, am I making a difference? If I can, as a uh, aviation company say, can I add that on to help, you know, make that journey a little more sustainable while I figure out sustainable aviation fuel and next gen um, narrow body and wide body aircraft. Right. So, you know, for me, that put those things together and I think it's a win. It's just a matter of when. Right. All right. Well, Emily and Scott, I think we're out of time. I just want to thank both of you for joining us on the Airline Weekly Lounge this week. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Very good. Well, thank, thank you. It was you. a pleasure. Great talking to you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.